Welcome to this Knowledge Natter by RCBS Knowledge. Here we have friendly and informal discussions with our Knowledge Award champions and those who are empowered by quality improvement in their work. Whether you're a veterinary surgeon, veterinary nurse, receptionist or member of management, quality improvement will and can positively impact your everyday life. Listen and be inspired. Hello and welcome to this RCVS Knowledge recording. My name is Lou Northway and I'm Clinical Lead RVN here at RCVS Knowledge. Tonight I'm very pleased to be speaking to Elizabeth McClellan-Green who is representing the Small Animal Clinical Leads at CVS. The Small Animal Team within CVS audited their Small Animal Ear Cytology on a national scale over a long period resulting in an increase in diagnostic tests and a reduction in antibiotic use across a wide range of practices. One of the key outcomes of, of introducing this QI initiative was the widespread improvement in the knowledge and skill of vets and nurses in all stages of their career. Their audit demonstrated strong leadership for the QI initiatives and highlighted that meaningful culture change takes time. So good evening Lizzie, thank you so much for joining me. Hi, thanks so much for having me. Uh, I'm so pleased tonight that we've both managed to get here on time when we both have small children. I think that is very impressive. (laughs) It's quite a miracle to be honest with you. Isn't it? Oh, absolutely. Um, I was um, just thinking tonight, oh, since I've had Max, I wish that um, auditing baby sleep um, would actually be effective. But I've learned along the way that, in fact, it doesn't work like that when it comes to babies. We don't have the desirable outcomes we all hope for. I would completely agree. A total waste of time. (laughs) Yeah, I um, I used an app, I think, like you said before, before we started recording tonight to um, try and track and trace what we were doing to see if we could improve things. But I didn't find it worked. But anyway, we've all been much more successful in our veterinary clinical audit work. So um, let's get cracking talking about the amazing work that you and your team have done. So um, where did your inspiration for this particular project come from? When did it, where did it all start? So I actually started, I have to, I, I can't take any credit for this whatsoever. It actually came from my colleague. Um, her name is Lisa Baker and she's a member of the Hub Clinical Lead team. Um, she is an incredibly passionate individual and she understood that ear cytology, you know, would have a great impact, um, I think, in terms of um, on veterinary teams, in terms of patient care, and also on the team itself, engaging nurses um, and, you know, getting getting teams to, to, to look at the way that they're, they're working. Um, we actually had, uh, a couple of years back now, a brainstorming sort of session. Um, and as part of that, we localised sort of focuses that we thought as a team we could potentially work on. We were really looking for opportunities for improvement because the team that I work um, with that is essentially part and part of our our function Um, but we were also looking for something that we could affect on um, a large scale so previously it had been worked on in in localized focuses but we wanted to to do something on a a, a national scale Um, we knew that improvement in this area was needed we what we thought improvement in this area was needed we were fairly confident about that Um, and that we thought that it's you know its impact would be far-reaching and that the introduction of cytology obviously has further possibilities you know beyond just ear cytology so that's that was our starting point really yeah and like just listening to you say that I think most people listening right now will be thinking that oh gosh you know how many dogs in a day do you see with um otitis a lot depending on where you work in the country especially if you're a dog heavy practice so um yeah i can see how it was a big sort of um, a target for you Um, and because you worked across lots of different practices they were lots of different places were doing this how did you collect your data so data collection i'm not gonna lie it it was a challenge not from a technical point of view we're very fortunate um 
the vast majority of our sites are integrated into a single practice management system. So in terms of being able to extract data, um, we can do that locally, but we can also do that on a, a grander national scale as well. The difficulty that we faced was how do we identify an ear case? We don't have, and as I'm sure most practices don't have a specific ear case code. You don't have an ear consultation. Maybe some sites do, but we don't. Um, so we had to think about how are we going to get an idea of what was going on. Um, so we thought about looking at our prescribing habits um, and we looked at the prescriptions of antibiotic treatments for ears. Um, and we then cross-referenced that with well, cytology events occurring and specifically we do have a code for ear cytology but it, it's it's an in-house cytology so it can't be completely isolated to ears so that's why we had to cross-reference against the antibiotics within the same time frame which we defined as within 30 days um now essentially our data collection we acknowledged you know straight away it's it's an imperfect data set you know it's not it's not sort of um but we were looking mainly for trends it was never going to identify cases where practices were using ear cytology and on the back of that were then not prescribing antibiotics however if we look at it from a sort of point of view of well if you're doing that then your relative number of cases that you're seeing are going to be quite low and also you should be using cytology when you're prescribing antibiotics therefore we felt that it was appropriate to be able to look at who was potentially doing well and who potentially needed more support in order to to you know improve their their use of cytology so although it's not perfect um you know tracking trends to give you an idea of scale uh the first audit we did was a three-month period and it pulled more than twenty six thousand wow. cases so our first data set was twenty six thousand cases so that's incredible um, it's, it's quite it, it's quite remarkable um in terms of uh, hopefully the, the data we have, although it's imperfect, it's of a, such a vast scale that I think it probably does reflect, ref, you know, reflect reality. Yeah, I mean that's absolutely incredible. Twenty six thousand cases, and you can really then think about how many people were involved in that process of seeing all of those animals. Um, and when I was reading through the amazing quotes you sent me from the teams of how they found um, this project so beneficial to themselves, to the patients, um, and to their whole team, one thing that really shone through was how they had utilised training that they had had. So um, a nurse had commented that she had done the BSAVA Merit Award in Dermatology, and that was a vet called Shelley crazier um, and prior to doing that she didn't have the confidence um, or feel like she could utilize her knowledge but then with the support of her team as well she has and she's found it really really rewarding um, and I was just wondering sort of um, what other types of training did teams do was it sort of um, one person went on a course for the day um, and then came back and disseminated it or how did it all happen so we went about it in different ways um, obviously there was a, there's a there's a there's a broad variation in terms of skill within practices so we didn't want to make a blanket policy that everybody had to send somebody out of practice for a day um, in some sites that wouldn't be appropriate there's there's adequate skill within the practice um, we asked clinical leaders within the practice to um, essentially when we launched the project we asked them to consider um, where they were at based on the data they had where they felt they were in terms of a skill level and you know was there enough skill within the practice that this could be uh, something that could be disseminated 
internally. It, as you rightly pointed out, it only takes one person really to share their knowledge um, and train the rest of the staff on site. We did put together an online training um, sort of a, a course that was based on our Moodle um, platform, so that there was there was reference material that could be um, could be looked at for, as a refresher or for sites where there wasn't sufficient um, knowledge, and then sites who still felt that they needed um, direct sort of one to one support. That's where the hub clinical lead team come in. We all cover essentially somewhere between sort of twenty to forty sites. Um, not every site needed assistance, but in theory, you know, if, if each of us had to go and assist five or six sites directly, then then that was done. You know, so, um, you know, we, we, we looked at this in a really straightforward point, you know, viewpoint. We were only looking for identification of cockeyed rods. This is purely ear cytology, yeah. so cockeyed rods, malassezia. Are they there? What quantities are they in? And what treatment should we give? based on what we find and when are we going to re-see this patient? When are we going to re-swab this patient? And what are we going to do if we find the case where we've got itchy sore ears and we haven't got any of these um, cytological changes that we might be expecting? Yeah, and I bet the clients really lo- loved it as well, having sort of more efficient test results rather than having to wait, you know, up to five to seven days to get results back from the lab when things are posted. So the turnaround time, I imagine, was much quicker. Absolutely. I mean, you know, sometimes clients were being sent away to wait for results before antibiotics were being prescribed. Sometimes they were being prescribed something off the shelf to make things a little bit better. Um, and again, it was then being changed five to seven days later, as you were saying. Um, certainly, sometimes the cytology wasn't being done. Um, but a lot of the feedback we got was actually the clients really enjoyed not necessarily um looking down the microscope, although in some cases, um, in particularly in the smaller site, the microscope was in the consult room. And actually, at a number of cases, <laughs> pre-COVID, um, they had clients looking down the microscope, you know, and actually yeah. very engaging for, yeah. for a client, you know, I'm not always sure if they 100% can see what, what they're looking at, but it still is, you know, it's very engaging for a client to be able to see progress. You know, it's so yeah. difficult with their disease. They can't, they can't see down the canal. They can't see always what we're looking at. Um, so they have to take that on, on on trust and, you know, being able to look at the microscope. I think that definitely um, encouraged them, particularly for the, the return appointments that are so important. Yeah, no, I can imagine that engagement is much, much better there from the client perspective. And, you know, if I was a pet owner, I'd probably like to have a nosy at what the vet was looking at too or the nurse was looking at. Um, but along the way, it was largely a hugely um, positive um, and influential project. But did you encounter any problems along the way? I mean, obviously, we we anticipated and we expected um, some barriers to be you know raised um the first thing that we we were aware of was really going to come around sort of lack of confidence um within our teams of using the microscope you know the number of times microscopes are not working but actually the just just day-to-day upkeep of the microscope has to be good to keep it functioning you know we can't rely on a yearly service but that requires a certain degree of confidence to semi-dismantle a a microscope so we started really with focusing on um, building that confidence and getting people really used to um, uh, focusing at times 100 and and really getting them to um, encouraging them to just have a go look at anything but focus Mm -hmm. it to times 100 because again he's using a microscope 
and then there's using the oil immersion lens and it is a it is a it is a different kettle of fish um and using that to look at any sort of pathological event. Um, the next big barrier that we knew we would come up against would be that perceived lack of time, you know, mm-hmm. particularly, yeah. um, you know, practices. M- most of our sites run 15-minute consults, but some still run at 10 minutes. And, and certainly, even in a 15-minute consult, you know, that that idea of being out of the, the consult room, doing something else, that that was, was a challenge. Um, we knew that we were going to have to do an equipment audit, and that was part of our initial auditing process was to make sure that we were adequately equipped. We couldn't go and ask teams to do work that we hadn't actually provided them adequate functioning yeah. you know, equipment to do. Um, and so that equipment audit did raise that in a number, I think we invested in 65 microscopes in total which okay it's not it's it's a lot but it's not a lot considering the number of sites that we had but it it is mainly sort of branch practices of larger um uh larger larger practices so the branch practices um who would maybe have previously sort of sent stuff over but the reality is that either the client doesn't want to travel to the other site to have the cytology done or the vet at the branch practice there's that barrier again to time to going in to use the microscope so we didn't want that to be a case so there was a there was an invest following the audit there was an investment in equipment so that every site um across the business has and that was another sort of outcome of the project was yeah really positive really positive outcome and again i'm sure those listening can relate to the practice microscope that has been broken or is beyond dirty and is actually relatively useless so um yeah i think audit can really help you get equipment that you need because it you know can show that if we do this good work we need the good equipment to do it and then we need more good equipment so yeah positive again all round we also had to look at the accessibility of the equipment you know where was the equipment relative to where it was needed to be used you know having it upstairs in the laboratory when actually in the consult rooms are two floors below you know it it needs to be moved so again there was a piece of work to be done as part of this which was to ask teams to think about how were they going to facilitate this and this was again back to that perceived lack of time what can we do to spin that around and make it easier can we have mini staining kits in cat litter trays in every consult room can we have the microscope okay maybe not one in every consult room but can we have it in dispensary so that we can stain it whilst we're talking to the client and then we can just pop to the dispensary and have a look at you know the slide whilst we're choosing something off the shelf at the same time so you know what what can we do to break down those barriers um we also identified uh that there was some views out there that cytology wasn't going to change treatment choice or the outcome um and i guess that's a that that's something that can only be worked on with time and education and yeah. engagement really um obviously cytology does change our treatment choices um and particularly with the event of when polymixin b um was changed in classification that that did ask us to really reconsider what what are we what are we using um and and it does change your outcome because it significantly reduces the times where we actually prescribe antibiotics at all um and then the last thing was again this is probably more of a business point of view but not necessarily wanting to charge for the service provided so 
interestingly in our auditing we can only assess if a practice is doing cytology if they actually charge the client for it Mm -hmm. if they don't charge that service code we can't audit it so in some cases we had practices who were doing lots of cytology but were not charging the client for it and not valuing their time and not valuing that skill and again that is something that you know it's that there's two pieces to work on either want the confidence that what they're doing is the right thing it's so advantageous for patient care that there's really no problem and also then just the general sort of unwillingness to to talk about costs which is it's always difficult but it's part of our profession and we have to we have to do it but we have to value our time you know oh absolutely yeah as you say that it's so our time is precious and valuable and if you've done training and you can undertake the task then we should of course definitely be charging for it um and you know we we charge client however much we charge to send it away but the exact same process is happening there so let's take control and do it ourselves and be really motivated and stimulated encouraged as a result um with the oral um oral cytology um was it sort of 50 50 split with the vets and nurses on who was actually undertaking the cytology in practice so we when we launched the project we went out to the clinical leadership within the practices and that the clinical leadership could be the clinical directors but it could also be the the head vets as well um and the the head nurses and we very much encourage this to be delegate, delegated in the most appropriate way for that particular site setup. We have such a variation mm-hmm. that we know that we didn't dictate how that should happen. Um, cytology really lends itself to being nurse-led. Um, obviously it does require the right setup, it does require the right amount of time given over to, to the nursing team to be able to fulfill that as a role, but it absolutely does. So in a, quite a lot of our sites, it was the head nurse or one of the lead nurses that took on responsibility. In other sites, it was clinical director, head vet. But we also found that quite a lot of our younger vets and nurses were quite keen. They have more recently been through training. They have, a lot of the time, they were more up to date in their uh, skills. So in terms of utilizing the microscopes, cleaning the microscopes um, and identifying what they were seeing there. So in some sites, it was our it was our new graduate vets and in some cases, our student nurses who took the the lead role. So it was it was quite a, a variation. The, the responsibility in terms of feedback came from the clinical leadership, but how they chose to delegate that within their sites was 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 up to them. Yeah, that's really inspiring to hear that so many different individuals were involved. And I, again, I really hope everyone listening um, feels inspired and motivated. I certainly think that this is an audit which I may be going back to practice with to encourage my team to crack on with <laughs> next week. So, um, right. So um, how do you think um, your team's view of quality improvement has changed and audit specifically? Um, now you've been awarded as knowledge champions and they've been through the process i guess um i mean we have such a wide range of teams i mean in terms of my team the team i work for and work with um we're fully sold on uh you know qi and that because that's part and parcel of what we do um you know a large number of teams that were involved in this project as well across the country they are well used to using auditing tools um, they regularly analyze different aspects of their performance and, and look for opportunities um, however for some of our teams this was either quite new or completely new um, obviously because it was done on a sort of 
national scale. Um, we tried not to use the term audit too much. Mm-hmm. We didn't want it to be overly intimidating. Our yeah. audit has a slightly, especially when it's done externally, um, has a slightly big brother. It sounds quite formal, um, doesn't it? It does, especially, yeah. especially when it's been done externally. It's almost like we're watching you and, and it's that's not what it was about at all. Um, so we definitely sort of kept it as, as sort of casual as we could and, and referred to it as sort of a, a project and, and an area that we wanted to work on. Um, but it was really interesting because as part of this as well, we would produce data every month. But they, the practices are able to do their own localized auditing um, within their own practice management system. And so we gave them the tools to be able to do that. Um, but that system of auditing is essentially the same system that you would use to audit lots of different things. Um, and it's really interesting, the feedback we've been getting, because some of the sites who had previously either not really done any auditing or haven't really had any sort of they hadn't really had an awareness that that was something that they could do or that actually how you would go about doing that. They've actually started looking at different aspects of uh, the, the, you know, their, their workplace, you know, um, and we've had lots of really great stuff from, you know, a site that we, we had that was relatively newly acquired where the student veterinary nurses were just, they were just doing the temperatures um, of patients post-recovery, which is a great audit to do. Um, and actually, that led to some changes made in bedding. And I think they they got a bear hugger as a result of yeah. that. So, you know, lots and lots of different things. But that's it's just bringing something to the forefront, isn't it? And it's just yeah. making, it's encouraging people to think about how they can imp- impact their own workplace, their own environment. Sometimes we feel a bit frustrated about things at work, but actually we all have the power to to change it. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that's really a really good inspirational quote there. I um, I completely agree. And just thinking as like an individual team member, like what are you interested in? What are you passionate about? What would you like to improve within your own workplace? And then crack on and do a little audit, dare I say it. But it just keep it simple and keep it friendly and you'll actually really enjoy yourself and then be really encouraged and motivated to do something else. Because <laughs> I just find your once you do one thing, your brain goes off and you think, oh, I'd quite like to look at that now. And oh, should we look at that? <laughs> So um, what's next? What's next on the agenda audit wise? Can you share with us? <laughs> well, we we have um, this project was really only the first, to be honest, in a sort of rolling calendar of projects. We almost wanted this to be just a, a, a stepping stone of where we could go. Um, since this project, which was actually started back in sort of the end of 2000. And nineteen, um, we've done. We've moved on to the sort of second phase of it, which was to look at cutaneous masks. So um, aspirating every mask that comes through the door. Now, obviously, we could send all of that off, which you know, in a lot of cases, it might be appropriate to, to send it off for, for the pathologist's opinion. But also, to, but also just encourage our teams to be looking at each and every one of these um, samples and to do that in house. We have all the equipment. We know we have all the equipment to do it. Um, and either therefore building up confidence in what they're seeing um, and then if necessary cross-referencing it to the pathologist so that we're that we're learning at the same time um, and definitely I think I haven't got the I've been off so I haven't seen the data but I think that's definitely showing an uplift in the numbers of masses therefore being removed you know we take the approach of every mask coming through the door ideally should be aspirated that we have the knock-on effect that we're finding more things if you know yeah so that's 
Yeah, I think, again, um, that's a brilliant audit and something, you know, a, a brilliant project um, to promote and encourage other teams to do. Like you said, they've built their skill set up already um, with oral cytology. So, yeah, let's crack on and look at some finding lasperates and, and go from there. But, yeah, I just think that the opportunities are endless, really. Um this we'll be year, at fecal samples next. <laughs> absolutely. No, this year's big uh, project is uh, looking at improving radiographic series quality. So the detail, it's not been launched yet, so I'm not saying too much. Um, Exciting preview, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, that, that's, that's, that's this year's um, project. So it's, it's due to be launched very shortly. That's very exciting. I look forward to reading more about that. <laughs> so um, to finish off, Lizzie, what words of advice do you have to anybody listening? Oh, gosh, it's difficult, isn't it? Um, I guess, I mean, the one thing I would say is, obviously, this was quite a big project. And I, you know, but I don't think it matters. You know, I don't think it matters. It, it, the principles apply. I mean, we've kind of spoken about this already. The principles apply to anything um, that you do in practice, anything that you see that can be improved. I think I think the easiest way uh, for someone to start is really to take that one thing in practice that either interests you or actually that you see all the time that kind of just niggles you you yeah. know as to whether it or worries you that it could be done a bit better if that makes sense because sometimes things niggle you you don't know if it could be better or worse and actually the best way to do it is to have a little look see if there's any data think about how you can measure it see whether you think there actually is a problem first of all or, or there's any improvement to be sought first of all and if you then identify where you're starting from and that there is improvement make the change whatever change that is um and look back you know it doesn't have to be the hugest thing on the planet you know um but um yeah just just start start small you know i think i think it's you know i'm just trying to think off the top of my head what's a great what's a great project um, well like what you've already said post-op temperature auditing post-op temperatures Absolutely. i think also, i love um how many days cannulas have been in as well yeah that's so a great one and what, leg, and what leg the cannula is in and yeah. just keeping a record of how often that's recorded yeah and also everyone just to mention um the national audit for small animal neutering that's a really good place to start yes. as well if you're unfamiliar with um auditing and you want to get started everything you need is on the rcbs knowledge website um and yeah just have a look at your post-ops brilliant well thank you so much lizzie for your time this evening um i've really enjoyed speaking to you and you've given us so many pearls of wisdom and I really think everyone listening will be wanting to go back into practice and get cracking with their microscopes now as well. Um, so to um, everyone, thank you very much. Um, to apply to be a knowledge champion, please submit your work. Um, no matter how big or small your project is, we want to know about it and you should be proud of what you're doing at the moment. Award winners are named as RCBS knowledge champions and they will receive a plaque, badges for you and your team if applicable and £250 prize money to spend how you wish, hopefully maybe towards a new microscope. <laughs> Applications close on the 4th of December and for more details visit www.knowledge.rcbs.org.uk Please get involved. Thank you very much. We hope you have enjoyed this recording. Please share it with your colleagues and friends. If you would like to find out more about quality improvement and access our free courses, examples and templates, please visit our quality improvement pages on our website at rcbsknowledge.org.